the book of Acts. Why don't we... Actually, why don't we start in verse 17. Chapter 20, verse 17. Acts 20, 17. This is the Apostle Paul in the middle of his journey, planting churches throughout the Mediterranean. He says in verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you Open up our minds and hearts and eyes to you this morning. We don't want to miss you, Lord. You have a word for us. We don't want to miss it. Please, by your grace and by the Holy Spirit, reveal your heart to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So as we're going through the book of Acts, like a reminder every Sunday morning, what's this book about? It's the historical record of what happened After Jesus was resurrected and taken up to heaven, the book of Acts, Jesus commanded right before he was taken up to heaven, go unto all the world and make disciples of all nations. Do you know that applies to you? But how do we do that? How do we find out what obeying what that command looks like in real life, in our life? We read the book of Acts. Jesus also told his disciples that he would build his church. And he wasn't talking about a church building, four walls with stained glass windows and a steeple. He was talking about church people, a gathering of men and women that he was going to build. But what does building that kind of church look like and how do we do it? That's why we read the book of Acts. Once a church is built, what next? What are the men and women who are in the church supposed to do? That's in the book of Acts. That's why we read the book of Acts. So we're in chapter 20. The last seven chapters, we've seen so many churches being built, and we've learned so much from reading about the building of these uh, churches. Who built the churches? Jesus did. Jesus said, on this rock, referring to the word of God, on this rock... I will build my church, not Paul, not Peter, not John, not Pastor Steve, not Pastor Scott, not, not Pastor Greg, on, on this rock, on his word. Jesus was, is the builder of churches. And you know, that's an exceedingly great comfort to me, that Jesus is the builder of the church. Uh, that means that, um, you know, as problems arise... 
as problems arise and difficulties come about. I know they're not my problems. I know they're not my difficulties. They're his problems. I can, I can say now when I pray to the Lord, Lord, this is your problem. It's not mine. And I'm going to go out for a run or whatever. <laughs> and I'm going to let you deal with this problem. On this rock, I will build my church, he said. I would say Paul and the church in Ephesus had a slight problem on their hands in chapter 19. What did we read last week? It says in verse 29 of chapter 19, the whole city got stirred up into a riot. Whose head were they going after? Paul and the rest of the people in the church in Ephesus. I would say that that's a problem, right? Uh, they had a, a, a problem on, on their hand. They wanted Paul and this newly built church squashed. But it's a beautiful thing, and we'll talk more about this today, that by this time in Paul's life, he knew that this wasn't his problem. It just wasn't. And by the end of the chapter, what happened? We, we saw the thing disperse, and, and, you know, it's just a wonderful thing for us, too. That, that's where God wants to take every single one of us, every single one of you. He wants such a wonderful, living, breathing relationship with you that when problems, afflictions, trials come knocking and they're just right in your face, banging at your door, crashing through your door, that you just understand this, this isn't my problem. They're the Lord's problem. You're his child. You're part of his church. He said, I build my church. They're my problems. So what does this church look like, sound like, feel like? For one, uh, we have learned the church trusts in him. Their problems aren't really their problems. They are his problems. By the end of chapter 19, again, the writers disperse. They don't always do that, but they did then in Acts chapter 19. And then let's actually pick up in verse 1 before we get to our main verses this morning. Uh, I'm going to go through these verses quickly. It says, after the uproar, what was the uproar? The riot that we had just talked about. Uh, After the uproar had ceased, verse 1, chapter 20, Paul called the disciples to himself. He embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also, Aristarchus and Segundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, Timothy of Antichicus, and Trophimus of Asia... These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. Us being, this is Luke writing, Dr. Luke, verse 6. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Skip over to verse 13. It says, Then we uh, went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, where intending to take Paul on board, for, he, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. 
So Paul here sends everyone away so he can walk himself just to be with the Lord by himself. So important. Every man, woman of God knows the importance of that. Verse 14, and when he had met us at Assos, he uh, took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there and the next day came uh, opposite uh, Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus. So, you know, we read through this, and someone may ask, why all these names and places, names and places we can't even pronounce? I mean, what's the relevance of that to us today? Well, I tell you, I love this stuff. I just love it. You know why? Because this is real history. Because all this detail points to what? That this stuff's real. This is real history. This stuff really happened. And, 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 you know, they were real people, real faces, real personalities. They traveled on real roads, real cities, stayed in real houses. We're about to read about one of those houses. And, you know, Christianity is not a fable. It's not a legend. It, it, it's, it wasn't someone that, that someone didn't just dream it up on some afternoon in the Middle East. Steamy hot, you know, they had a hallucination, a mirage. That's not what the Bible is about. Now, I challenge you to go read some of the books, the, the quote-unquote holy books of some of the other major world religions. You will be amazed at the contrast between those books and this books. This is real history with all this detail. may not mean a lot to us today. The message is loud and clear from the book of Acts that this stuff really happened. Real cities, real roads, also real miracles. So when we read that, the men who were lame from birth being raised up, the blind see, the deaf hear, most importantly, the Son of God raising from the dead, it really happened. So I love the history here. And speaking of miracles really happening, let's go back to verse 7. Let's read about this uh, miracle here in these verses. It says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together. What day is the first day of the week, by the way? Sunday. So the Sabbath, Saturday, is a Jewish concept. And... Uh, it no longer, after Jesus died, was resurrected, it no longer applies to the church. You can worship on a Saturday if you'd like. You can choose any Sabbath that you want, any day of the week, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2. But here we see one of the a number of references. The church uh, typically came together on Sunday. It says, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Yeah, I really want that one to sink in. You guys hear that? He continued his message until midnight. So anyone have any objections to me talking to midnight? No? Here we go. Praise the Lord. Verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. You know, this is a great picture, by the way, of the early church just getting together on the top floor of some house and reading and sharing the word of God. This is real stuff. 
This is what the, it's supposed to look like in the United States today and in the whole world. Just getting together and reading the Word of God. Verse 9. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now remember who wrote this book, right? Luke. Luke was a what? Doctor. This isn't something that, oh, maybe he really wasn't dead. No. Doctor was there. Dr. Luke was there. This guy was dead. Verse 10, but Paul went down, fell on him, and embraced him, saying, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, when he had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted, meaning they were greatly comforted. Oh, I just love that story. Uh, This is a real historical event. That's why we get all this detail in the Bible. Not only in this book, of course, but many of the books in the Bible. And we need to understand we worship a God of miracles. If we don't believe that, we should just all go out and do something else on a Sunday morning. And, and I have noticed, to the extent Christians sort of explain away miracles, uh, to the extent they do that is, is um, how much they see the hand of God in their life. Doing miracles in their own life. Supernatural intervention of the, of the Lord in their own life. So Eutychus here falls asleep. It says there were many lamps in the room. Now, what kind of lamps were these? Oil lamps, which means what? Very little oxygen in the room very you know so he did the smart thing right what'd he do he went to a window get a little fresh air don't know how much cologne these guys these women you know were had on them may have been the best thing to do that as well and so he's there and um says he falls into a sleep a deep sleep now i just want to be honest with you about one thing i don't get offended if someone falls asleep in the service, I really, I, I honestly don't get offended at that. The reason is, I figure that people who are coming to a conference center at a hotel are doing it because they really, really want to be there, okay? <laughs> you know, it, maybe not if we were in a big building with, again, uh, a huge steeple, stained glass windows, but you guys really want to be here. You want to hear the Word of God. You want to listen to the Word of God, and and. I remember when the church just got started, and uh, there was a guy who was sitting right over there, although this room was about a third of the size, and uh, he was sitting right over here, and uh, he was falling asleep, and I'm like, what's up with this guy, man? He's falling asleep. And after the service, I, I, I see this guy, right after the service, he's running up to me, his face is all bright. He comes up to me and he goes, yeah. He goes, we got on a plane last night from California. We traveled the whole night and we went directly from the airport right to here because we wanted to be here listening to the word of God. That's the last time I ever minded anyone fall asleep, you know, because I realized that, praise the Lord, he could have gone and slept in his hotel room or whatever, and he was here. And so um, uh, anyway, anyway. Uh, here we have this uh, wonderful 
miracle of, of, of this guy falling down dead. Uh, he was touched and he was raised to, uh, he was raised to life here. So we've been through verses 13 through 16. Let's go down to 17 where we began this morning. It says this, from Miletus. So Paul's on his way to Jerusalem for the, to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. That was one of three Jewish feasts that every Jewish male was expected to show up in Jerusalem every year. And uh, remember at this time uh, that all the Christians uh, who were Jews still considered themselves Jews, and they loved to go to Jerusalem to, to worship. And so it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them. Now let me give you a little background here. Uh, again, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows trouble waits for him there. He knows that. That trouble is waiting for him in Jerusalem. And he knows the trouble is going to be so big, he wasn't going to be able to see these people anymore. Now, remember one of the themes we've had in the book of Acts here. It's that what? Paul went to churches that he started. He went to them as often as he could, and he stayed as long as he could. Why? Because he had to teach them grace. Why? Because they had grown up in a world of ungrace. Grace is what? Getting what you don't deserve. The world is precisely the opposite. We, from the time we come out of our womb, all we ever learn is we have to earn whatever we get. But we don't earn anything when it comes to the Lord. Everything is by grace. Everything is because of what Jesus did uh, for us on the cross, and we can't add anything to that. And so Paul goes back to these churches. We've seen that throughout the book of Acts and just emphasizes the importance of teaching people the word of God, not leaving them after you lead someone to Christ uh, just in their infancy, just going to them, teaching them uh, the word of God. But here he knows he ain't coming back again. Why? He knows something is going to happen to him in Jerusalem that's going to prevent him from hap- that from happening, and we'll see that happening later on uh, in the book of Acts. So right now, he is going to give him his fair, give them rather his farewell message. So kind of like listening to someone on their deathbed giving their last words. Oh man, is it important that we pay attention to these last words of the apostle Paul? He says here in verse eighteen. Middle of the verse. This is the beginning. This is how he begins. He says, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, he's talking here of Turkey. Ephesus is in the middle of, of Turkey, which is the province of Asia. He says, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. In other words, his life had been an open book, and he lived what he preached. Now, there's a famous quote by St. Francis of Assisi. I want to put it up here. St. Francis said this, Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Preach the gospel always, 
if necessary, use words. Now, it's a very famous quote. I have mixed feelings about it. (laughs) Because the Bible does say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So words really are a necessary part of of the gospel. But that said, there's a lot of truth to this statement, of course, that St. Francis, uh, this this quote that's attributed to him, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. In other words, first and foremost, we do need to be preaching the gospel with our lives, meaning our actions, our character, our integrity. If we are not preaching the gospel with our lives, we just need to shut our mouths. I mean, listen, brother, sister, if you're living a life contrary to the word of God, if you're living sort of this live, uh, hidden life with sin, whatever, and, and your life is characterized by behavior, behavior that's totally inconsistent with the word of God, please, don't go around telling people about Jesus. Don't do that. It'll confuse the living daylights out of people. Or worse, It could just put a blight on the name of Jesus. You're misrepresenting God. Of course, you you know, what you really need to do is repent and get those things out of your life. But if you're not going to to change, please keep your mouth shut. Paul says in verse 18, you know from the first day that I came to you in what manner I always lived. He preached the gospel with his life. But of course, he also preached the gospel with his words. Verse 19, he continues. He said, serving the Lord. So he says, you know in what manner I always lived among you. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. So notice how he says here, serving the Lord with all humility. It doesn't say serving the church with all humility. It doesn't say serving you with all humility. It doesn't say serving the men and women of Ephesus with all humility. It says serving the Lord. Now let me tell you. If you're out serving men or women, you will be sorely disappointed. If you go off and run off and become a teacher, a nurse, a social worker, a public servant, even a pastor, or a church worker, over time, you will become so disillusioned and discouraged if you're serving men. Why? Because man's never going to appreciate you as much as you want to be appreciated. He, uh, you, you're, you're, you're never going to see the results that you want. You're not going to get the rewards that you hope for. You'll pour your lives into people, but the people won't give, will give you so little in return. That always happens when people are serving men. That's why people, they, they run off to become, again, Social workers, teachers, nurses, this type of thing, serving people professions. And they just quit because they become disillusioned. But if you go and become a pastor, a teacher, a nurse, and you are serving the Lord, meaning every day when you are cleaning off that patient in that hospital, you're cleaning off Jesus. That's what you're doing. You're cleaning his wounds. 
you will be richly, richly rewarded. God always gives back when we're serving him. He always gives back immeasurably more than what we give him. I wanted to put up Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says this, give. And you can just insert, give to the Lord. When you're giving to the Lord, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be put into your bosom. This is just such a real principle. It's such a blessing to be able to uh, just know Christians who have been out in the workforce or in the church or whatever. They've been serving the Lord wherever they are. Colossians, in the book of Colossians, says, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. And you, you may say, Steve, you haven't seen my boss. I mean, this guy, you, you know, he, he, he just has a foul language, the dirty jokes, the lack of respect. The, the, the guy, is he just, he's gross. And he wants everyone to see it and laugh at it. Man, quit serving men. Quit serving a man. Look what happened when Jesus ser- served. Who was he serving? If he was serving men, oh man, did he get not so good payback. He died on a cross. He was spit at, mocked, beaten beyond recognition. And what did he say to the Lord? He said, not my will, but your will. He was serving the Lord. We're supposed to be imitators of Christ. So it says... Uh, again, it says, verse 19, I serve the Lord with all humility. With all humility. And then it says in verse uh, uh, 19 there, it says, with many tears and trials which happened to me. You know, we think of the Apostle Paul sometimes, and we think about this hard-headed, tough guy would come into churches, you know, slap them around, rebuke this person, that person, wah, 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 wah. No, man, I, 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 I believe he was one of the most gentle human beings that ever lived. I really believe that. And you, you see here, he's a man of tears. It's not the picture we have of the Apostle Paul. But it was Paul in Romans 12, verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And he, and he just, he's living out that verse. We'll see that later on uh, in, this, in this chapter here. So uh, Paul, uh, he, he, just, he, he just lived uh, an open book before them, weeping for those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Verse 20, he says, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to to house. Skip down to verse 27. We'll see the same thing. This is later on in this little message, this la- these last words he gives to these people before he goes off to Jerusalem. He's going to get arrested in Jerusalem and carted off to Rome, and eventually he's going to be martyred. But, um, and this is one of his last stops before then. He says, verse 27, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel 
of God. And so, same idea in both verses. It says the Greek word for here, shunned, in verse 27, is the same Greek word used for kept back in verse 20. And so it's the Greek word, this word shunned in verse 27, it's called hupostello. It means to shrink back from fear. It means to hide out of fear. It means to act out of here. So, uh, out of fear. So, uh, here in verse 27, where Paul says, I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God, he is saying, I have not given into fear and kept back something that you were supposed to hear. That's what he's saying. Now, there's an epidemic in the United States of America of pastors caving in to fear. Fear of who? Fear of their congregations. Fear of the media. Fear that they're going to be mocked in the media. Fear of their television audiences. And as a result, refusing to declare the whole counsel of God. You know, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says this. Actually, if we can get this one up. For the time will come. When men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So they'll avoid, they'll shun teaching, for example, about hell. even though Jesus repeatedly taught about it, even though Jesus said the reason he came to earth was because of it. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And he pleaded with people to believe on his name lest the wrath of God remain on them. So why would a pastor avoid teaching about it? Because of fear? Fear that their congregation would see them as harsh and unloving when, in fact, the most unloving thing to do is avoid that teaching. It's like a doctor refusing to talk to patients about cancer when they have cancer. Pastors, out of fear, refusing to talk about sin, about abortion, about divorce, about homosexuality. The problem is, listen, all those things are addressed in the Word of God and we have to sort of avoid teaching the whole counsel of God if we're going to avoid those subjects. That's why at Calvary Chapel, knowing that we have a tendency, us pastors, we have a tendency to, uh, out of fear, avoid certain parts of the Bible. That's why we go chapter by chapter by chapter because we know we. We know ourselves. We'll know we'll do the same thing. We'll just leapfrog over the tough parts. But, but what did Paul say, Paul say uh, back in uh, verse 20 there? He said, I have kept back nothing that was helpful. I have held n- kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. In other words, he didn't just hide behind his pulpit. 
You know, there's a temptation to, you know, to get up here on the pulpit and declare and then just go hide out somewhere. And I hope no one finds me after teaching a sermon like that. No, he says he went from publicly and then from house to house there. Just wonderful picture of his ministry. Uh, verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, verse 21. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. What? Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So now he's really getting serious with them. What's he talking about here? The subject of eternity. What a man or woman must do to have eternal life. He didn't hold that back from them. The Bible says that if a man or woman wants to spend eternity with God rather than eternity without God, there must be, as Paul says here, repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance means a a turn, a U-turn. Your life is going one way, you turn around and you go the other way. Now notice how Paul says that there must be repentance toward God. He says there must be repentance towards God. There is such a thing as turning from something, repenting from something, but not repenting towards God. So you can turn from a life of alcoholism, but not towards God. You can turn from a life of adultery, but not towards God. You can turn from a life of cheating, lying uh, lying and stealing, but not towards God. There's a couple of problems with that is you can't take those kind of things out of your life and expect nothing and not replace them with something. And so what so often happens is someone will uh, replace one addiction for another. You get rid of your alcohol addiction and you replace it with a porn addiction or a work addiction or some codependent relationship, a relationship addiction. But there's even a bigger problem with, uh, than that. The problem is, is that when there's repentance, but it's not toward God, if you, it means you remain alienated from God, unreconciled with God. The Bible actually goes further than that. It says you remain in enmity or at war with God. You remain in your own little war with God. Now, every human being, we come out of our mother's womb. Looks like my kids when they came out of the womb. But the punches aren't really towards the parents. It's towards the Lord. So in order for a man or woman to have eternal life, they must have repentance towards God. They must replace their life of sin with the life of God. But it goes on there. It says they must have repentance towards God and what? Faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can put your faith in something but it may not necessarily be towards Jesus Christ. You can put your faith in your parents. You can put your faith in your job, in your friends. And and to get a little weird, you can even put faith in really weird things like like a rock. You know, put your faith in a rock. So a number of years ago in San Francisco, and yes, brace yourself, this is another one of those only in California stories. In San Francisco, 
a number of years ago. There was a huge concrete block that weighed a couple tons, and it was used in the street as a roadblock. So, you know, so people wouldn't go in a certain direction. Well, one morning, mysteriously, man, this this two-ton rock wound up in the middle of a park nearby. People were like, whoa, what's up with this? Who put that there? I I don't know. And and so, you know, people started gathering around this uh, rock, and, you know, the New Age community got a hold of this news, and pretty soon, hundreds of people started showing up. And worshiping this rock. And I understand it turned from hundreds of people to thousands of people. And it, used, it got to be like a traffic problem. Poor rock. I mean, it was, it was put out there in the, originally to, you know, help traffic. And now it's becoming a traffic issue itself. And so this thing, you know, it goes on and on um, until... Uh, it came to an abrupt stop when a, a street worker came forward and confessed that he had moved the rock with a bulldozer. It was no longer needed on the street. You know, but listen, there's a really important principle here. God designed you so that you have to worship something. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God put eternity in the hearts of every man, every woman. God designed you so that you put your faith in something. But the danger is, and this is a real danger, is that you put your faith in something, anything, other than the one who came to earth so that you would put your faith in him. Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life for you. He died on the cross for you. He was resurrected from the grave so that you would put your faith in him. So Paul continues, verse 22, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the what? The grace of God. Okay, so let me just finish up with this. I love the beginning of verse 22 there. It says, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. That's where the Lord wants to take every single one of you. He wants to take you to the place in your life where you are just bound in the spirit. What does that mean? You're just compelled to do whatever it is that God has compelled you to do. And, you need, and you'll just move on regardless of what happens. The Lord said, he said, he who begins a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He's going to do that work in you. It says that in, in verse um, 22, and see, now I go bound to the Spirit, not knowing the things 
that will happen to me there. This is where God wants to bring every one of you. Meaning you, you move forward, not knowing what tomorrow brings, not even caring in, at one level. You know, the Lord didn't give us a crystal ball to show us, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen next week, what's going to happen next year. Why didn't he do that, by the way? Why doesn't the Lord just, come on, put us out of our misery. Give us a, give me, Lord, a crystal ball. I just, I can't take it. I want to know what's going to happen next year with my kids or whatever, with school, with my life, my, my, my job. Put me out of my misery, Lord. Just give me a crystal ball. What would happen if he did that? We'd worship the ball. We would do nothing, but every day we'd be looking into this ball. Ooh. And we'd be, be ignoring who? Him, the Lord. We'd be ignoring him. We would pay no attention to him. So many times, why is it that we're paying attention to the Lord? Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, we're, we get a little scared. We get, we get anxious, nervous. And so we look to the Lord. And what do we see there? Faithfulness, goodness. We, we see uh, yeah, mercy. We see a God who has had this history with us of faithfulness and, and that we can trust him. Now, I just do want to uh, say this one thing, is that Paul didn't get there in one day, so I don't want you to be discouraged that, wow, you're not like this, uh, sort of bound in the spirit, just going forth to Jerusalem, you know, knowing, it says that chains await him there or, and not knowing much of anything else. He didn't get there in one day. In fact, if you go back to, you don't have to turn there, but if you go back to Acts chapter 9 where we started with the life of Paul, what happened to him right after he became a a, a believer? It says he was declaring the word of the Lord, and and then he found out some some people were going to come after him, and what happened? He was let down the Damascus wall in a basket. That's such a funny picture to me. Can you imagine, like, the Apostle Paul, you know, being hoisted down a basket to Damascus, some little girl meeting him at the bump? Hey, w- what are you doing? Who are you? I'm the Apostle Paul. Oh, okay. So he gets down there. He runs off. That was the picture right after he became a Christian. What did we see in the last chapter, chapter 19? It says that a whole right, the whole city of Ephesus, and that was a massive city, 500,000 people, They wanted his head. They wanted to squash him. What was Paul doing? Anyone remember? It says he was pleading with people to, to, uh, he was pleading with like the guards and stuff to go out and talk with the people. He was pleading with them. They're saying, no way, man. You're not going out there. You're going to die. It's about 20 years in between Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 19. What happened in those 20 years? Him exercising his faith. Him coming out of his comfort zone. Each time, what happening? Every time he was out of his comfort zone and he exercised his faith, thought he was going to get beat up or whatever. Sometimes he might have been, sometimes not. But he saw the faithfulness and goodness of God along the whole way. So by the end of the journey, the guy is like wants to go confront a mob. Wow, that's pretty cool. And, and, and he's compelled by the Spirit to just move on regardless of what tomorrow uh, may bring him. And that's where the Lord wants to bring every single one of 
you. Praise the Lord. He's got such a wonderful uh, race that he has set before us to run in. A wonderful path for us to walk in. A wonderful plan for our life. Okay, we'll, we will stop there. If the worship team could uh, come up, and we're going to close with the worship song. Why don't you stand, and we will close in, in prayer as the worship team comes up. Father, we just love this picture of your faithfulness. We just love it, Lord. How you are so faithful, Lord. How your goodness, Lord, your goodness will transform our our lives, our hearts, our minds, your goodness, your faithfulness, Lord. Lord, I ask for everyone in this room, Lord, on behalf of everyone, Lord, we're, we're all in agreement about this. We, we want to serve you. We want to serve you with boldness. We don't want to serve men. We want to, uh, that same thing, Lord, that, that uh, every mature believer in Christ has, which is a peace in the midst of the storm, Lord. We, we, we want to get there. Lord, we believe you're taking us there. We thank you for that. We thank you for the promises of your word that promised to get us there. He who has started a good work on us, Lord, that's you, is faithful to complete it. That's you, Lord. We thank you for that. Father, I pray that even this week, for every man and woman in this room, that we be exercising that faith that you have given us as a free gift, and exercising that faith and just moving out, outside of our comfort zone to that place that you want us, Lord. That you want relationship with us, that you want to talk with us and receive from us, Lord, and be with us. We thank you for that. And Father, lastly, I do pray for any man or woman in this room who has never turned from their life. Turn from a life of, of sort of shaking their fist at you. Turn from their life, which of uh, their own life, and replace it with a life of Christ in their hearts, Lord, that they would not leave here this morning without just putting a, a stake in the ground and saying, yes, Lord, come into my life. Thank you for saving me, for dying on the cross, and for raising again to give me new life, Lord. I pray, Father. She would do that work for any man or woman in this room who doesn't have that relationship with you. We thank you for your grace, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.